it's awesome that we can come together and just be together and learn from the Word. I want to jump in from where we left off in our study of Revelation. Now, you might have been asking, why is it that we've been doing Revelation in Life 1.0? I don't know about you, but certainly from the response we've had in the message, it's interesting to see that many people have neglected the book of Revelation in their studies. It's almost like Revelation isn't important. It's almost like Revelation isn't, uh, it's too scary and it needs to be put aside. Well, we hope that as we journey through life, we can get greater edification. Well, as we jump in, I'm not going to open my Bible to Revelation. I'd like us to take a little bit of a side journey to set up some of the thoughts around this discussion that we're about to have. What discussion are we about to have? We're about to go from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation 21 in 35 minutes. Um, and we're going we're gonna to whistle through it, but I'm going to pick out the primary questions that you might have, and we're going to discuss some of those things, and we're going to glorify God as we go. Amen? So let's have a look. One of my most favorite scriptures in the whole of the Bible is this one. Acts chapter 4, 33. If you want to follow along, please open your Bibles. That's the only way you're going to follow along tonight. Uh, if you're online, open up your version, open up your Bible there that you've got at home. If you're in the audience, crank open your, your iPhone and jump on and you're able to have a look. Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. I want to set some context around the scripture because this scripture was written at the moment that the church got an idea of the Holy Spirit. The moment that the church got some idea of the Holy Spirit, this scripture and story was being written. So we know that the Holy Spirit was moving, and we as a church have really started embracing the supernatural. We've started embracing the Holy Spirit more and more. Amen? And so when we have a look at this scripture, understand, read it with the lens, that the Holy Spirit has just rocked up and appeared as flames of fire, and, and they're kind of getting their minds around these gifts, and they're trying to get their minds around the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is giving them permission to start expressing the, the gospel in their own way, uh, with their own story, uh, to go where they feel God leading them, not where the Lord tells them to go. There's a whole revolution going on in the church. Sounds familiar. And so this is at the moment believers put the law down and embrace the freedom of grace for the first time. The Holy Spirit was ministering grace to them. The Holy Spirit was ministering that not even death can bind you. And Jesus Christ had just come amongst them to show them that not even the Sabbath would bind the Word of God. And so they were going through a revolution. And here's what it says in verse 33. The apostles, you and me, gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Why did great measures of grace rest upon them? Because the apostles were giving great testimony about the cross. Is that what the scripture says? No. The apostles were giving great testimonies about the pain that Jesus went through in death. No. The apostles were giving great testimonies about the sin that Jesus took upon his shoulders? No. No. The apostles gave powerful testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many Christians have stopped short of the book of Revelation? Because the Bible tells a story about 
a church birthed out of the death, burial, and the resurrection. And as soon as we get to the resurrection, we go, that's as far as it takes. As long as you declare the Lord Jesus Christ that was died, was buried, rose on the third day, you're good to go. Well, you are, but you're not going to be as great to go as you could be if you press on and understand what he was resurrected for. Grace will only come upon you. The revelation of grace will only come upon you if you understand that Jesus didn't just die, didn't just get resurrected on the third day, but he ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God. Grace is the fact. This is an understanding of grace that you might have not heard of before. Grace is your assured expectation. I mean, the, is, is, the, is the unmerited favor. You know what unmerited favor is? That when I look heavenward and through the lens of the visions of John can see the heavenlies, and there seated at the right hand of God is a familiar figure. Well, that looks like me. And even though I'm a flesh being with flesh desires and flesh issues, I have risen with Jesus Christ. That's grace. That's some supernatural grace. That means I can have what is heaven right now, even though I'm still on earth. That's pretty grace-packed. So I only get the full impact of grace when I declare what Jesus was resurrected to. Oh, but he conquered death. Yes, he conquered death. <laughs> but he took you heavenward. That is far greater than just conquering death. He dodged the bullet. No, no, you know what? Jesus was resurrected for a reason and for a purpose. Flick over with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. And we're getting there. We're getting to Revelation, I promise. Romans chapter 8. And, and if we have a look at, at Romans 8 and verse 11, have a look at what it says about this process. Romans 8, 11. Do you know it? You might know the scripture. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. Did it, did, it, did, it, did it say that, yes, God put Jesus to death? Yes, God nailed Jesus to the cross. Yes, God, no, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection, say spirit of resurrection, lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to live by the same spirit that breathes life into you. Are you getting the picture? You have resurrection spirit, not Jesus dying on the cross spirit. Amen. You see, revelation will only be scary to you if you're still sitting in a place of judgment, not grace. If you read revelation with knowing that you've already been given the resurrection spirit and that you've already been given it by grace, revelation, the book of, will be a doddle. But if we are still camping at the cross, worrying if Jesus has accepted us or not, has taken our sins on enough or not, or if we've been too bad for that. You know what? Jesus didn't raise you in heaven on the cross. He raised you to heaven by resurrection and ascension. And until we get a clear picture of who Jesus is now and what he's conquering on our behalf, grace will be a strange subject matter to you. Because man... When I look at what Jesus is fighting on my behalf in the heavenlies right now, all I can appreciate is His grace. That He's doing that on my behalf. But if it's just the cross, 
stops there, doesn't it? Let's push on. Let's have a look at Ephesians 1, verse 17. This is where it pulls it all together. Ephesians 1, verse 17 says this. I pray, Paul speaking, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. We've got three spirits now we're speaking about. Did you hear that? We had the spirit of resurrection. We had the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. <laughs> to know what? To know Him through your deepening intimacy with Him. How many of you know that I have to be in proximity to be intimate? Now, if I'm in intimate relationship with Jesus who has risen to the right hand of the Father and is in the heavens, and I wish, and I'm through revelation and through wisdom, I can be intimate with Him. Well, hang on, I better be in proximity to Him. Which means that through revelation and through wisdom, I can understand my heavenly position and receive divine grace. Are you getting this? You see, when we have a look at this, we have to understand, and it says it like this in verse 18. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of His calling. What was Jesus' calling? To save mankind? To die and take my sins on His shoulders? Was that His calling? What was His calling? To reign. What was His calling? Let's have a look. He said He's told us He's calling Himself. Go, uh, ch chop over to Luke. I told you we're going to fly through the Bible tonight. I didn't even have time to type up all these scriptures. In, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus tells us what His calling is. He tells us after coming out of the desert, He comes out and he, and he comes out the desert and He says to these people, He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and He says, This is my calling. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind. I pray that your eyes are illuminated to the spirit of revelation and wisdom of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't just come to mix some mud and spit and heal some blind guy's eyes. He came to illuminate the eyes of our revelation so that we could receive grace in a heavenly proportion. His calling was to set us free and to come and preach the message of Jubilee. For the day of God's favor is at hand. Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on. Christians at the cross are worried about the day of judgment. Christians in heaven are only concerned about the God, day of God's favor. Which one worries you? Because the day of God's favor doesn't worry me at all. And because I know I'm living in the day of God's favor through the revelation and wisdom of Jesus Christ's grace in my life, I can understand fully that the day of judgment doesn't worry me either. Why is it that we didn't want to read, read Revelation? All that blood and judgment. Well, it's not your judgment, so what's the problem? What it is, is a picture of what Jesus is overcoming to reestablish who you really are. 
What is he conquering to reestablish Eden and you in it? What is he conquering to make sure? He will put down mankind that rears the head that has the mark of the wild beast on it. Oh, there you go. There's that Walmart barcode coming up again. There's that Apple Watch rearing its ugly head again. You know that it's a payment mechanism, Craig, and Revelation tells us that the mark of the wild beast. You know that there's a, a mark of Christ mentioned in Revelation? Christians at the cross will be worried about the mark of the wild beast in the day of judgment. Pre-Christians in heaven will be worried only or concerned only with the day of the Lord's favor and the mark of Christ. Amen. Am I making sense? Right now, with that in mind, let's jump in to Revelation. And we're going to jump in here at the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6. And we're going to whirlwind through these chapters, highlighting what the theme is all about. The theme of Revelation is the spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation around Jesus' position now, not then, now, in relationship to our grace and our righteousness. You looked a bit confused. Silence fell on the crowd. I hope at home you clapped with your Bibles. Let's have a look. Revelation chapter 6. Remember we had a look at the four living creatures that were at the throne. Some scholars say that that represents love, justice, wisdom, and power. Right the way through the book of Revelation, any judgment, any bowl, any trumpet blast, any bolt of lightning, any, anything that comes from heaven to earth is controlled by those four beasts. As I have recently wrestled with judgment of a non-sinner in my family, I have realized that I can have complete peace about his eternity because his judgment comes through love, justice, wisdom, and power, completely perfect and in complete harmony. Can you imagine if God's power got out of hand? Well, we can imagine what God's, what power get, looks like when it gets out of hand in man's capability. We can see that. Can you imagine even if God's love got out of hand? Kumbaya, everything's okay. I'm always loved no matter what I do. Even that's not, not good. Can you imagine if God's justice got out of hand? Or we wouldn't be able to imagine it because we would have been obliterated. And so we go. But these four beasts work in complete harmony just FYI, the understanding of a word or a quality of God taking the form of something, it's not the first time that this is mentioned in the Bible. John chapter 1 tells us that God's love got so fervent towards man that his word broke forth in the form of Jesus Christ. And that's why love at the throne is represented as a man, the beast that has a face like a man. Because he's the only one that can choose to love. Wisdom, power, they all represent it. Who's the king of the jungle? The lion. That's because it comes from Africa. And all things that come from Africa are kings. The lion is the king. He judges perfect justice. 
The ego with its far-sightedness is wise. And so we go through these beasts and they work in complete harmony, releasing God's judgment to the appropriate people at the appropriate time. In harmony with love, in harmony with justice, in harmony with wisdom, in harmony with power. Trust me, when it comes to your judgment, if God wanted to get out of kilter and judge you harshly, He would have done so already. He sent His only begotten Son to bring harmony, not to the four beasts, but our perspective of the four beasts. So that we don't just see God as this power-hungry God in the sky. No, we had the love of Jesus Christ coming amongst men to bring the power into play. Are you with me? It's not that he sent Jesus Christ to tame the wild beasts in heaven. No, he sent Jesus Christ to tame the wild imagination of the beasts in us. Does that make sense? And so now John gives us this vision of what it looks like for the beasts to be in harmony around Christ's throne. And so he goes into the story of how the beasts start releasing things on the earth. Have a look at the very first thing in all of Revelation that the beasts release. In verse 2, So I looked, and behold, there was a bright white horse. Its rider had a bow, and was given a crown of victory. He rode out as a conqueror ready to conquer. I've read a scripture about conquering. In fact, I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. And what's with this bow and no arrows? Well, that's because it's a spiritual war that God has asked us to ride out on and fight. And what will we be? We will be victorious and we will conquer. Those who have been asked to fight spiritually, you and I, will be conquerors and will be victorious over everything that is now going to happen. The very first word that Jesus speaks is light. The very first word that comes with light is hope. The very first thing that this, these beasts send out in harmony is peace, is love, is hope, is victory, is being more than a conqueror. So that in that one vision you are secured as being a conqueror by the end of Revelation. From now onwards, it's anybody who doesn't accept the grace through the revelation and wisdom of Jesus Christ that need to be fearful. Not working on it, not getting there. No, 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 you've got there. The minute you say yes to Jesus, full revelation, full resurrection, full everything is placed on the inside of you. We've already, we've already read that. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Not kind of lives in you, flickers every now and then, shows up when you read your Bible, when you cuss, runs out the front door. No, 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 no. You are already more than a conqueror. The very first thing the four living creatures in perfect harmony at the king's throne declare about you is that you will be victorious. How cool is that? Now I can read Revelation. Because now the fiery horse, the green horse, I, didn't, I don't know what green, but I don't really like the color green, so the green horse doesn't scare me. But all these other horses, whatever. But here's the deal. The beasts now don't release 
the next couple of horses. They reveal the next couple of horses. Alrighty? No shock horror. The next horse it deals with financial difficulty. Anybody in the earth having financial difficulty? Okay. Do you know that Jesus is fighting that horse for you up in heaven? So this is not a judgment. This is a situation that the Christians find themselves in that Jesus will take care of. This is not a judgment. It's not saying, oh, if you're Christian, you better be poor. I wouldn't have become a pastor if that's the case. You see, the thing is, is that we've got this secondhand couch mentality. Have you, have you seen it? When the church needs a, a couch for the, for the entranceway, we kind of take up a, a... Anybody got an old couch that they're willing to bring to the church? Because that's how we do things, you know. We poor Christians. No, 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 no. I'm riding a white horse, victorious, conquer. I can go and buy a new couch for this church. Yeah, because my rear end sits on a throne in the heavens. I don't need to sit on a second-hand couch out in the lobby. I'm a king's kid. I'm not proud. I'm not haughty. No, I'm victorious and I'm a conqueror. I've just fought some battles. The first one that I'm going to fight is I'm going to have some financial difficulties in this earth. The first set of declarations by these beasts are about personal things that you will overcome on earth that Jesus is helping you overcome in the heavens. The second set of things that the beast release are about things that the whole world will need to overcome. Earthquakes, war, famine, major issues. You might never ever see a war, but the world sees a war. That's the next phase of revelation in, 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 in the story. All it is is saying, hey, this is what gonna, you're going to go through, but you're going to be victorious in my name. And John goes about painting the worst possible picture to not show how bad it's going to get, but to show how much of a conqueror you and I are. Am I making sense? And the next one, the next living creature re re releases um, the next horse and come forth and the green horse, the one I'm not scared of, and that's death. Are we going to have to overcome death in the world? Of course we are. Is Jesus overcoming death? Has he not overcome death as the King of kings and Lord of lords? Of course he is. And so it goes on. Death. Famine, illness, sickness. These are all things that we're going to have to face. Even though we have a glorious heavenly hope, we can look into the heavens and see Jesus fighting on those things on our behalf. Why? Because Jesus likes you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords with the four best puppy dogs at his throne. Even the queen right now in London has corgi dogs, right? You must check out my king's animals. Yeah, they're in control of death. They're in control of my finances. God, in perfect harmony, love, justice, wisdom, and power, rules over my life. Live or die, I don't care. My God is King of kings and Lord of lords. You with me? This is not an earthly battle. I can peel back the vision of heaven and see Jesus right now warring over my monies to bring me all prosperity. I can, I can see Jesus right now with the keys of hell firmly in his grasp, but I'm not going anywhere near that. Death might come to me now, but it will never come to my spirit man. Why? Because I can see what Jesus is doing in the heavens. Why can I see what Jesus is doing in the heavens? I'm not looking up at him. I'm looking alongside. 
Does that make sense? And so it goes. Here in verse 11, there's a group of us that manage to walk through our personal storms and still keep our eyes on the Lamb. That's what we charge to with all of these things going on around us. Jesus says, you just keep your eyes on the Lamb and these horses won't bother you. Here's how he describes those who don't get bothered by the horses that run around you. In verse 11, each one was given a glistening white robe and they were told to rest a little longer. Who can do with some rest? Amen. A little longer. You know, that's like Jesus saying, it's okay. I know it's half past eight, but you can roll over and get another hour's sleep. Chill out. I don't know about you, but that's my kind of king. <laughs> Until the full number was fulfilled of both their fellow servants and brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. How many get killed for Jesus' name? So what? Oh, but, but Craig, I don't want to die a painful death. You know what? I'm going to die. Whether it's in the tribulation, at the feet of some crazy warlord that comes from the Antichrist, or whether it's some crazy beast that comes out of the earth and takes uh, and my head off, I'm going to die. But when I die, I'm going to get told, chill. It's not a big deal, chill. There's a few more of you that have to join. And then when we join, trust me, we're going to get right back at it. You see, God is looking for people who, when they have their salvation, are willing to use their salvation to make sure others join them. That's what that scripture is saying. Those are the ones He wants to reward. Not just the ones who get their salvation, no, but the ones who are willing to chill out, work in that salvation, embrace that grace, and show it off to others so that they can bind the number in. Matthew 24, 14 prophetically says, this good news of the kingdom will be preached to the entire inhabited earth, and then the end will come. The end doesn't come when Jesus comes back. The end comes when you get off your tush and start preaching Jesus risen and reigning. Oh, but I was just waiting on Jesus. Well, you can wait all you like. I'm going down fighting. If I die naturally or if I die because of the tribulation, at the end of the day, you know what? Death doesn't scare me. That horse has run and its rider has tamed it. Amen? Then we have a look at this, this whole process and we've got to get the mark of Jesus. Have a look at chapter 7 and verse 3. Do not damage the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have marked the loving servants of our God with a seal on their foreheads. The mark here, the Greek word used for mark as, Jesus, as John used it, would mean mindset. That have the mindset on their foreheads. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says that the mark of Jesus in your life is that you have the mind of Christ. There's your mark. Don't worry about the mark of the wild beast. You just worry about having your mind fixed on Jesus, risen and reigning. That's the only mark. It's like wearing a t-shirt. If somebody has to walk up to you with a t-shirt and they've got a cuss word on their shirt, you kind of know what kind of person they are, right? Because of their attitude, their demeanor, that you, you can see it. If they walk up to you with a scripture on their front top and they got this look of peace and they want to tell you about Jesus, you know what kind of person they are. They don't have to have 666 tattooed on their hand to be evil and have other kinds of numbers on their forehead to be good. You can see by their demeanor who they are. The mark of the wild beast is the opposite of having the mark of Jesus. You've either got the mind of the world focused on the world or the mind of Jesus. 
And when Jesus presents himself to the world, he's going to give everybody an opportunity to change their mark. Those who've already accepted the mind of Jesus will go, I'm with you, Lord. Those who haven't had a look at the mind of Jesus and have been trapped by this world and Satan will look at Jesus reigning, supreme, supreme being in heaven. And even though they didn't get a glimpse of revelation now, they'll get a glimpse of revelation then and they'll get an opportunity to go, I think I want to change my mind. Everybody will be resurrected from the dead, so says Revelation, to choose which mark they want to have for the rest of being. God is looking for any reason to save people. Now, the more you sow without God, the more that mind change is going to be resisted. So I'm sowing with God now so that I go to heaven with the mind of Jesus so there's no question. Amen? I, I'm going to reap what I've sown. If I get to heaven and I haven't sown God, I'm going to reap a life without God. Not even God can change that principle. Am I making sense? I hope so, because I just confused myself. So we have the mind of Jesus, which is the mark of Jesus. And if you want discussion on that, please feel free to drop me an email or come and tap me on the shoulder. I'll probably ignore you because this is what I believe. I'm joking. So now we've got this mark. We've got the mind of Jesus. What does that mean? I don't just, have, I don't just try and think like Jesus. I think on Jesus. Can I say that again? Don't just try and think like Jesus. Think on Jesus. And why must I think on Jesus? I'm not talking about thinking on Jesus, the red letter Jesus. The red letters just gave us a glimpse of who Jesus is now. My kingdom is no part of this world. Why? Because you're going to catch a glimpse of me in heaven and then you're going to understand where my kingdom's part of. Am I making sense? We keep our mind on Jesus. If we keep our mind on Jesus, we won't be distracted by the Antichrist. We won't be distracted by this beast coming out of the ocean. The beast coming out of the ocean that you see in Revelation 7 and 8 and the other beast that comes out of the earth, that's just attitudes. The beast coming out of the ocean is representing the worst possible side of humankind. The true genuine evil that we see in the world today that no matter what happens will never change. Even when Jesus steps out from his throne and presents himself to that child molester, that demonic human trafficker, that, that hateful, hurtful, drug-abusing, drug dealer that is so wrapped up in himself. That's what that beast comes out of. And even the beast gets an opportunity to look at Jesus. <laughs> About you. But when my dog back in South Africa did something wrong and I called it, it used to whittle because it used to know it was in trouble. However big the beast of humanity seems to us, it's like a flea to Jesus. Yes, he's going to have to crush it. But he crushes it in full love, full justice, full wisdom, and full power in full unity. So trust me, the people that he goes and judges and throws hailstones and blood down at need it. Why? Because he said he would. My son, my seed, will crush your seed in the head. But your seed will only bruise my seed in the heel. In Genesis, he already spoke about the fact that he was going to do some destruction of the seed of Satan. 
Amen? So why are we surprised when we read it in Revelation? Are you the seed of Satan? No. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? You have the full revelation of resurrection, wisdom, and revelation in your life, which is, in fact, having the mind on Jesus through His resurrection, through His wisdom, and through His revelation. Amen? And as a direct result of that, we are not called for judgment. We are called for reward. And if you look up the day of judgment in the Greek, it's the day of reward. You will get reward for what you sowed. If you sowed with God, step into my kingdom, you good and faithful slave. If you sowed without God, and your heart is so bent that even in the moment when you present yourself to Jesus and Jesus presents yourself to him, and you still choose the world, Jesus is not going to force his will on you. Just like the demons who rebelled with Satan can't go back because there's no possibility of them ever having complete open honor and respect and sold out, being sold out to God again. He knows that their heart will never change. In full love, full mercy, full wisdom, and full power, he judges them. Let, let me tell you something. Human courts are infallible. I, I, I make mistakes. They're not infallible. Yes? How many times don't we hear about somebody on death row that gets saved at the last minute because they were actually innocent? That's never going to happen with God. It's never ever going to happen with God. His judgment is perfect. It's full of grace, full of mercy, full of wisdom, full of power. And let me tell you something, if you get on the wrong side of God, you can still come back. But stay on the wrong side of God and revelations for you. I just want to have the full spirit of resurrection, wisdom, and revelation. My mind on Jesus. That's the mark. Oh, but, but what about this mark of the wild beast? Well, it's you presenting Jesus with a cuss word on your t-shirt. It's your attitude that marks you. Yeah? How many times do we, we say things like, oh, there was something just rose up in me. Well, that's what it's describing. This beast of mankind that rises up out of them every now and then. Anger and hatred and hurtfulness. That's all it's describing. And when somebody walks in the room that's not having the mind of Jesus, don't you and I easily pick that up straight away? Somebody who doesn't have Jesus' passion, you pick it up. I spoke into that at the beginning of this meeting. We don't have the mediocrity of the world. We have the passion of Jesus. And we serve Him with the spirit and the passion that he gave us. We don't serve him with mediocrity. Amen? And so we go. We're now cruising through the, nine, or the, the different trumpets in chapter 9 and chapter 10. The mystery of Jesus is not being revealed. Revelation did that already. What we're reading about is the mystery of Jesus being fulfilled. Christ in you. And then finally, these two witnesses arrive on the scene. That's another big question, people. Who will the two witnesses be? Will it be Pastor Dwayne Sheriff and Kenneth Copeland? Or will it be, well, you know what? Jesus spoke about the witnesses to his message. And they were called word and spirit. The two witnesses that were put to death with Jesus was the Spirit of Jesus, and His Spirit left Him, and the Word Himself, 
were put to death for three and a half days. The Word and the Spirit. You know what's crazy? On the third day with Jesus, rose up the Word and rose up the Spirit. And as a result, we can see Him risen in the right hand of God and we're living right alongside Him. The burial of the two witnesses was the burial of Jesus. But you know what? Because you and I were raised with Him and were given life again with Him, we can carry those witnesses alive on the inside of us. The world might scoff at the Word and the Spirit in you, but at the end of the day, the Word and the Spirit will give you power, says Revelation, to bind and loose, to declare that which is not as though it were. Where have I read those scriptures before? That's the Word and the Spirit in you. That's the power of the witness to Jesus that we have on the inside of us. And so we go, and we can keep going. We are the fruit of the woman, the church. We have the fruit. We are the spirit of Jesus. We are Jesus' body. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says in the story, okay, all my people are in. Where have I heard that story before? All the animals and all the people came into the ark and God closed the door. We didn't have a problem then because Moses and the people inside the ark were the good ones. Well, those who get inside God's favor are the good ones. The ones left outside. Am I making sense? And so when we have a look, we go along. And we see this mark of the wild beast, which is just the mark or the evidence of man's fallen humanity. It's not some barcode. It's not some anything. And then Babylon falls. What did Babylon represent before? The Tower of Babel, people trying to be like God. All of a sudden, the whole world is humbled in the presence of God. Good, bad, and evil are all humbled. Babylon falls. And finally, the seven bowls are poured out. You know what the seven bowls are? In heaven, God wanted to pour out judgment. And Jesus interceded and caught that judgment in a bowl and put it aside. And then it welled up again in God. And Jesus, as our intercessor, caught the judgment in a bowl, and he put it aside. Seven times he did that. And he caught the judgments of God before they were meted out on the planet as our intercessor. Trust me, if Jesus didn't come, God's wrath would have prevailed because nobody would have been declared righteous and nobody would have been made whole. So while we were going through our process of finding salvation, Jesus was bringing equilibrium and balance to the beasts. And he held back those bowls. You see, we think of this whole thing in a timeline. Amen? And then what happens is Jesus now goes to his father and says, right, you know those judgments that you spoke back then, yesterday and today, no timeline. You know your seven judgments? Yes, it's time to release them. Okay. You see, with God and Jesus, there's no linear timeline. It's all happening at the same time. Okay? And the layers that we're looking at right now are layers of different things all happening at the same time. A day is like a thousand, a day in God's eyes is like a thousand years. So everything's happening right now. You're being saved. Jesus is dying. Jesus is resurrected. You're raised to the right hand of God, but you're still living on earth. It's all happening at the same time because God is no keeper of time. 
He lives outside our linear quantum. And, and he goes, you know what? I know you're still sinning, but I love you anyway. Because your salvation hasn't happened yet on your linear, but in my mind, you're already seated at my right hand. You with me? And so Jesus now goes along and says, all of this judgment, now I'm good as the intercessor of humankind that what's left on the earth, now, Father, you can pour those judgments out because everybody's in. Now starts a timeline with God. Everything's been happening at the same time because of Jesus. Because Jesus mixed up the whole divine thing. He had to shake it up. Otherwise, Satan would know how to get in. He mixes it up all together so nobody knows exactly what's going on. Do not try and judge the time of the Son of Man. Don't try and work because you're not going to be able to. I've done that for your protection. You're being saved, are saved, seated at the right hand of God, sinning, grace is being applied. You're sinning again, grace is being applied again. It's all happening at the same time so that Satan can't trip you up. But the moment all God's people come into that place of safety, pre-trip, post-trip, the moment they all come into that place of safety, God now says, Jesus now says, time starts again. And now the thousand-year reign starts. Thousand years, it's a timeline. Now a line starts again where events start rolling out. Why? Because those events can no longer affect us. Does that make sense? And now this timeline starts. And you know what it is? It's a countdown to the blowing up of Satan the devil. That's all the timeline is now. It's just a timeline. And God pours out his seven bowls, one after the other, so that the people know that this is it. And now the seven bowls start a timeline. And now, because of the seven bowls, people start gnashing their teeth and regretting, but still not wanting to turn back to Jesus, just regretting. That's shame, not repentance. That's why we don't walk around ashamed, we walk repentant. Because otherwise we're mimicking the, the, the lives of people that still don't want to turn to Jesus. And finally Babylon falls and Satan the devil is tied up and he's bound up once and for all. He does his very best to try and keep those who are being judged on his side for a thousand years. doesn't affect us. And so heaven rejoices in chapter 19. Satan is bound. The day of judgment arrives. You know what God does? He resurrects everybody. And he says, come on, really think about your choice. And at that moment, all tribes, nations, tongues, kingdoms, and people bow before the Lamb of God. Something you did many years ago is now done on a global, eternal, unanimous scale. A new heaven and a new earth is established, and Jesus finally says this. He says, Behold, I have my reward with me. And my reward is to restore Eden. Why Eden? I mean, come on. Two trees? A garden to look after? Come on. Surely all of this is worth more than that. No, no, no. You've missed it. God's word, Jesus, will never return void. John 1 God used the word, Jesus, to create all things, including you and I and Eden. 
If Eden is not restored, Jesus hasn't fulfilled the word. So the last thing that Jesus does, he completes the circle. Man was to dwell in a place of equilibrium and union and relationship with the Father in a place called Eden. And so he turns to his Father, hands and shows him the new Jerusalem established as it was originally intended with you and I living in complete relationship with the Father, Him no longer damming up His seven bowls of judgment against us, completely pure, completely clean, completely forgiven, completely free. And He goes, this is how I intended things to be originally. And you know what Jesus says to His Father? It is done. Where have I heard those words before? Didn't Jesus speak that on the cross? Yes, From the moment the nails were driven into his hands to the moment he said, it is done. In those three hours, the whole timeline of mankind played out. The it is done that Jesus spoke of at the cross is the same it is done that he speaks out when he returns the Father and shows him his bride. A day is like a thousand years and Jesus took care of it all in three hours. Isn't our God great? And so, a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more tears. You know, oxygen won't even be the same. The atmosphere won't be the same. God will dwell amongst us. Can you imagine what kind of glorious blessings that God will have as He walks amongst us? Can you imagine how clean our houses will be? Because we know God's coming to visit. Can you imagine how well behaved our children are going to be? Because God's coming and when He gets home, He'll give you a hiding. All of a sudden, humankind rectifies because dad's in the house. Father's home. And we home with the father. Do I have a clear grip from God himself that what I've just told you is exactly how it's going to be? No. But one thing I do know is exactly how it's going to be. We win. So quite frankly, whatever evil you want to make the evil in Revelation to be, go ahead and make it evil because you're not part of it. So the bigger you make it, the more scary you make it, the bigger our Jesus is, the greater the conqueror is, and you're it. This is the Jesus that we serve. For me, the Revelation is about the gospel of Jesus Christ just as much as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. And it is time that we respect the book of Revelation to be the spirit of resurrection, the spirit of wisdom, and the spirit of revelation in our life. Jesus risen to the right hand of God and us right alongside him.